And today we are beginning a new series of messages. You might have noticed it on the, the front of your bulletin, The Names of God. Now, uh, all throughout Scripture, what you discover is that there's not just like one name for God. There's many different names that are used to describe Him. And as I, as I was thinking about, about names, I, of course, just like you, understand that all of us have names. Everybody in this room today has a name. Uh, my full name is Eric Glenn Estep. Now, I told y'all where before where my first name came from. I uh, was not that, uh, you know, most people name their children after family members and things of that nature. I told y'all before that my, my dad, uh, years before, used to smoke, and he liked Eric cigars, and he thought the box looked really cool. And so I'm named after smokes, uh, which is, you know, kind of a nice little thing. So that's my first name, Eric. And then my middle name is Glenn, and I was named after my dad's brother. And then uh, my last name is Estep. And, of course, you know, that's just the family that, I was, that, that I've been born into. And so all of us have, have names. We all have, you know, we, most of us have a first name, we have a middle name, we have a last name. Uh, just as a side note, y'all are going to think my dad's a heel. I just, I'm going to say this anyway because I think it's funny. My sister, her middle name is from one of my dad's old girlfriends. Is that bizarre? I have no idea how he got away with that one, but uh, anyway, just thought I'd tell y'all that. But anyway, we all have names. And uh, some of y'all have, y'all have nicknames. You know, it's not just your your given name, but some of you have nicknames. Any of y'all have nicknames? Uh, okay, I'm not going to ask y'all to share them. I'll share mine. I'm not giving you the right to call me this, though. Uh, my family, if, if you're around my family, when they are when they are with me or the people that I grew up with as a kid, my nickname is, it's, it's always, everybody calls me Elmo. I mean, it's and it's not for the little Muppet guy. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I predate that guy, but that's just what everybody calls me. But anyway, going back to Scripture, God has other names as well other than just God. Um, one of the names that we're going to look at today is that God is known as Elohim. Now, you might be thinking, what in the world is that all about? And just as a reminder, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew language. And so the name, and when you talk about Elohim, it's not like, you know, Jim or anything. It's in Hebrew. And so this name has a very specific meaning, and we're going to talk about that. But there's other names that are mentioned throughout Scripture that, that talk about God. And I really believe that as we begin to understand some of the names of God, that we really begin to get a better understanding of who our God is. And that name Elohim that is used for God means strong and mighty. And this is in Genesis 1-1. And if you're wondering where we're going to be reading today, we're going to be reading out of Genesis 1, verse number 1. So if you have your Bible and you want to look there, y'all, this is the easiest one. It's like really cool. Just go to the, it's the very first front part of your Bible. Genesis 1-1 is all where it all starts. And we're just going to look at that one verse today. But the thing that I like about this is that the first name used for God is strong and mighty. And it's in verse number 1. I, I think that's cool. And I like that a lot because we live, we live in a tough world. You know, we live in a difficult place. And I just think it is so encouraging to know that the first thing that God wants us to know about his name is that God is strong and mighty. And we're going to see today the way that God's strength is demonstrated because of his name. And so in Genesis 1-1, it's very simple. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, Genesis 1-1 is a seminal passage of Scripture. It's, the, it's where the very first major doctrine is, is dealt with. And that very first doctrine that we deal with in Genesis 1-1 is the doctrine of creation. And it's the very, you know, it's the, it's the, the basic question that man has and, and has had since the beginning of time is, well, where did I come from? You know, how in the world did I get here? And Genesis 1-1 answers that question. But this scripture also gives us some insight into who our God is and why we can trust him. And the very first name of God that we're given is in this first verse. It's the name Elohim, and it means strong and mighty. So how does that name demonstrate the strength of God? And we're just going to look at a few ways that it does it. First of all, it demonstrates God's strength and that it shows us that God is eternal. We're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's something that I want you to notice here. What I want you to notice is at the beginning of time, when everything was first created, this is where y'all get to participate, who was there? God was there. At the very beginning, as it all started, God was there. And the implication of that is that because God was there at the beginning is that God has always been. That God is eternal. And you see this all throughout Scripture. I'll just share a few verses where this is mentioned. In Deuteronomy 33:27. it says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. In Genesis 21:33, it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, or invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Now I think most of us are willing to admit that when they think of God, they think of God as being an eternal God. And I think we're ready, we're ready to agree that, yeah, God's always been. And it's real easy to say that, but have you ever tried to explain that to anybody? You know, the, the, I promise you, the, some of the smartest people anywhere and in the church are kids. Kids ask the most difficult questions. And one of my least favorite questions that a kid will ask me is they'll come up to me every once in a while and they'll go, hey, where did God come from? Who made God? Now, I can give them the answer. I'll say, well, nobody made God. God has always been. And then they kind of look at me with this bewildered look. And they're like, can you explain that? And I'm like, no. And I, it's terrible. I have, I have no answers. And I'm bewildered by this. And to be honest with you, there's stuff, there's stuff I've read in the Bible, and I, and I look through Scripture, and I'm like, you know what, I, don't, I, don't, I can't get my mind around that. You know, I, I don't know how this all works out. And I, I don't know how God can be eternal. I don't know how God can be perfect. And there's all these, all these things that I struggle with, but I just trust that God's Word is true. That's the Word of God. But, but even though I can't explain really how God is eternal, it actually, this actually gives me some comfort. What I really like about this is I like the fact that I can't explain God. Now that might seem kind of strange, but I, I just, I really like the fact that, that I cannot, in my, my little brain, explain who God is. It would, folks, let me tell you something, it would be scary if I could explain completely who God is. I mean, God's not very big. And 
And it's a reminder to me as I think about the eternity of God that God is not limited by the laws of nature, that there's something that is awe-inspiring about our God. And one of the most awe-inspiring things about our God is that our God is a God of eternity. And that's important for us. And it's important because if, if God was not eternal, then that means that the promises that God gives us in the Bible would be good for as long as He lives. Now, what are some of the promises that God gives us? What, what, what are some of the covenants that God gives those who are His followers? Can somebody just name, name one? What is the promise of God that, that you love and adore? Eternal life. Uh, yeah, salvation. Forgiveness, hope, peace. Those are promises that come from Scripture. Now, if God is not eternal, you know how good those promises are? They're only good for as long as God is around. But whenever He dies, then that means that His promises for us no longer apply. When I look at the Scripture, I see it says that God's eternal. Because He's eternal, that means that He is an anchor for my life. I can hang on to him. In Hebrews 6, 17 through 19, it says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath, and God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered us may be greatly encouraged. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Typically, an anchor is found on a boat, right? Now, what does an anchor do? Whenever, whenever the person on the boat drops the anchor, what does the anchor do? Gets all the way to the bottom, hits the ground, and it digs into the ground, right? And that anchor is attached to the boat. Now, when the wind and the waves are blowing and a boat does not have its anchor out, it is going to be, it's going to be tossed here and there at the, at the whims of the, the wind and the waves. But when an anchor's down, the boat doesn't move. Now, I, I have, uh, one of my favorite things to do is I love to fish. And I am great with branding. Because if I ever come across a nice school of fish, you know, I don't want to drift over those fish. And so what I do is I will drop the anchor to hold me steady so that I can be, you know, so to speak, in the sweet spot of where all the fish are. Now, that is, that is who our God is. God is an anchor for us as we are being whipped around by the storms of life. When we are anchored into God, we hold steady. And whenever we are anchored into God, what God does is He holds us, so to speak, in the sweet spot of life so that we don't drift over the promises that God gives us. When you're anchored to God, because He's eternal, if you're anchored to Him, you're anchored to Him for good. God's going to hold you in the sweet spot of life for you to live life at its best. Proverbs 25 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Now here's the question for you and for me. What is the anchor and hope and meaning in your life? What is it? Because the key for success is not moving. If your anchor's not very good, 
1983, the Bulls paid a levy on Moe's son to replace him with Troy Moe. They had a, 31 people died. They had an eight-ton anchor. Now, the anchor had always worked before. It was a good anchor, but one day it broke, and when it broke, that eight-ton anchor was swung into the, to the underside of the, of the ship, piercing a hole in the hull, filled up with water, sunk the ship. Now, the anchor was good.
God wants us to know that first. Why? Well, in Revelation 4.11, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God wants us to know that he's creator so that we will know that he is worthy of our worship and praise. We go through life. God wants us to know that he's creator. Because a lot of us get confused by life. A lot of us get hurt by life. And who better to encourage us than our creator? A lot of times we think that the only thing that God made for us is that he made everything. That he's got authority. That our life ought to be lived in peace. That he hasn't told us what order life ought to be in. God wants us to know that he is the inventor of life. And yet the doctrine of creation has come under attack, especially since the whole theory of evolution came out from Charles Darwin back in the 1800s. Now most of us are very familiar with it. We're familiar with it because we've only been in one school. But basically what it comes down to is that, that life is, that creation is something that just happened by chance. You know, that life came out of, came out of a, a random act of events. And if we, if we buy into that, guys, it affects the value of life. If there is no creator, life is just living. And when it comes down to it, you just really don't mean a whole lot. I just don't know that you mean a whole lot. I don't think it's really tied back up to anything important. And no wonder people have this idea of, you know, hey, eat, drink, and be merry, you know, because tomorrow we die. Princeton University, which is one of the most prestigious universities we have in our country, there is a professor, uh, he's still there, his name is Peter Singer. Peter Singer does not believe in a creator. And because of that, and at least you have to say he's honest, it brings about some, some views that I think a lot of us would find offensive. Here's what he said back in, in 2006, he said, it'd be okay to kill a disabled baby after it had been born. said that the life of a man is no different than the life of an animal. Now how does he come to that conclusion? Because his life doesn't value anything. You know, because there is no creator. When you remove God from being creator, you open up a whole can of worms of of bad people. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, 21-25, he said, although they claimed to be wise and they became exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. And here's the important part right here. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Folks, very simply put, it is
of them you're more likely to maybe your parents are more likely to show compassion than others that right after you're born somehow you know you got you got some trouble with like taking out garbage or whatever um okay so you get you get taken away by pets and animals and, and, and we're never able to find them do you just throw up with the pets and like walk away no you you labor you
Sarah found out about it, the angel said, you're going to have a child. She laughed. She's like, you're crazy. And the angel said this to her. He said, is anything too difficult for you? Whenever Mary is told that she is going to have a child, even though she's a virgin, the angel told her this in Luke 137. He said, for nothing is impossible with God. Job in his conversation with God said in Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What does that mean? Guys, what it comes down to is we want to be associated and serve this God. Because he is a God of strength and power. But not only is he a God of strength and power, he is a God of love. And I'm so grateful for that. God is not looking to lord it over you and say, look how powerful I am. God, in his strength and love, allows us to choose to love him. Now, I know it might be my mind is a lot of times like, God, why don't you just make me love you? God, why don't you just make me be obedient to you? And that sounds so good to me, but it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me when I apply it to me and my family. Sometimes I think, you know what, I'm going to make her love me. Now, guys, come on. Ladies, how successful that can be. Now, I can make my wife love me. Now, if I make my wife love me, she's only going to be loving me just so I'll lose my love for her. We all want, I mean, we want our wives, we want our children, we want our friends, we want them to choose to love us. Because if they choose to love us, then it's genuine. It's a God-given love. Let me tell you something. Somebody else loves you, it makes it easier to love them. I want you to know that it's a God of strength and power and might. It's a God of choice. I want to know that God loves you. It's God of strength and might. Ladies, it's that strength and might that He loves you, that He allows you to love Him. He gave you a promise. He sacrificed.